This week I had quite a week. There was this uh, event going on called Florovsky Week. Florovsky was a theologian guy that no one's ever heard of, including me for that matter. But uh, there was a whole week dedicated to him. And we wrote papers and we presented these papers at Florovsky Week. And the reason that we were presenting these papers at Florovsky Week was we were trying to determine the different views on justification from the, all the different uh, Christian traditions, so Catholic, Orthodox, Protestants, and the various forms of Protestants. Us Protestants were complicated, uh, but uh, we tried to do that. And so I presented a paper. And so I, it was really great. It's a good opportunity for me to be able to present this paper. And I presented a paper on the doctrine of separation within fundamentalism. Yes, everyone. Napping. This is just like, yes. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's favorite subject, right? Well, what this subject is kind of about was I was basically saying every denomination has certain beliefs that they have, and oftentimes they separate over them. So the fundamentalists in the early 1900s, they said, well, if people don't believe in the virgin birth, we're going to separate from them. And they had a kind of a whole list of different things that they said, if you don't agree with these particular doctrines, we're going to to separate over them. So that's kind of what my paper was about, and I introduced that to you because what we are going to talk about today is absolutely not a doctrine I would ever separate over, okay? Because this is a very challenging passage that we are going to go through. So could you get me to my title page here as we uh, talk about 1 Corinthians and go through the passage? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning, and we just pray that as we go through this and we look at... Uh, the head coverings issue, Lord, that you would guide us and be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go through this passage, I could sit up here and read you various quotes of people that said, this particular passage of Paul is the most convoluted passage he has ever written. The arguments don't make sense. He's going through and he argues for one thing, and then when he gets to the end, he changes his mind and argues for something else. And so we are going to try to tackle that this morning. And I will probably not solve all of your problems, but I'm going to do my best. I always, when I was a person listening to sermons, and I've told many of you this before, I always hated it when the pastor skipped the hard parts. So I have, uh, I have said to myself, I'm never going to skip the hard parts. So we go on here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now, he talks, at the beginning here, he says something nice. Now, he, he's either starting out saying something nice that's true, and then he's going to go on and say the mean stuff later, or he's actually being completely ironic and saying, hey, you're doing a great job, you know. And then he's going to go ahead and hit them with the stuff that they're not doing right. So apparently he had written to them. We know this is not actually 1 Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is 4 Corinthians. But he is saying, I've given you traditions and you did a good job with them. So he's either making fun of them or he's being nice before he gets mean. I'm not really sure. But he says, verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So the first big debate, and I actually think this one's less complicated than the uh, head coverings issue we're going to get here in a few verses, is the debate between complementarian versus egalitarian. 
And if you say, I do not know what complementarian nor egalitarian means, don't worry. I was still Googling it like a year ago to remember which one was which. So let me explain which one is which. So you have this relationship, and we're just going to stick to the husband-wife relationship. You have this husband-wife relationship, and there's probably more than two, but I'm going to say there's two different ways to look at it. One is the complementarian way to look at it, and that's really what the, the church has held traditionally for most of its history. And that is something more like this. The husband and wife are equal before God, but when the rubber meets the road and one of the two has to make the final decision, the husband ultimately has the authority. So, of course, this is not supposed to be some kind of he's the boss and she's the peon. He tells her what to do all the time, per se. It's just more like he ultimately is stuck with the responsibility of making the final decisions. So I hopefully, the way this is supposed to work out is the husband and wife they agree on things. They have a life plan together. They do stuff. They just do it together. They work together and things are equal. And this whole, the husband really needing to decide anything rarely ever happens. But at some point, you're trying to decide whether to buy the red car or the blue car. And one person likes the red car and one person likes the blue car. And, you know, because maybe one's going to last longer. One's, you don't know which one to buy. Neither one. You can't, And someone has to decide. And someone's stuck with that responsibility. And the complementarian view is that it is ultimately the husband's responsibility to make those final sticky decisions. Then there's the egalitarian view, which is like the husband and wife are completely equal. So it's just like the, you know, the battle, right? <laughs> so whichever one of you can, you know, I, I'm sure it's not, that doesn't necessarily need to be a battle either, but that uh, often the husband and wife equal. I would hope that most husband and wife relationships do at least mostly look egalitarian. I mean, if one of you, uh, if the wife is better at something than the husband, the husband would be a fool to not, you know, put his wife in charge of it and let her handle that, right? That's just being a, a, very, a very bad spouse if you're not able to do it. So what I am going to suggest to you the morning, this morning, rather than me trying to solve the complementarian egalitarian issue for you, I am just going to assume complementarian. That's the view I would take. And if you disagree, you're welcome to disagree. But it'll be, take me a really long time to be able to try to explain the complementarian view and the egalitarian view and the head coverings view and all the different... So it would just take me a very long time, okay? So... I'm just going to go with the complementarian view. Feel free to disagree with me, though, okay? So, the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. So I would say this is arguing for the leadership, a husband and the family, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. So, the first thing we have here is it says that the man who prays should not have his head covered. Okay, this is really easy so far. Okay, this is really easy so far. It gets really more complicated when we get to verse 13. So let me go, let me explain this. I think what this means is, in those days, they had practices when they did worship and they had culture, right? They had this particular culture of when a man and a woman should have their hair covered. And it's specifically saying, man should not cover his head. This is why I think that is. When they did particular worship ceremonies back then, the men often would cover their head when they would worship their various gods. But not all the men would cover their head. Actually, the men of higher social status would, care, would cover their head, and the men of lower social status would not cover their head. So because of that, when you would go to the 
uh, the temple, the, the pagan temple or whatever, you would actually know who the wealthier, higher status people were and who the lower status men were because the higher status men were wearing head covering and the lower status men were not. And so the, the head covering was supposed to be the reason they did it. They said something like, oh, well, this is the, sh- the sign of humility before God. I'm showing my gods that I'm worshiping how humble I am. But of course, because only the wealthy, you know, higher class people were able to do it, it's more like, ha ha, I'm more humble than you type of a thing, right? So what I think Paul is saying here is, within the church, do we have some sort of class structure in the church based on wealth? Or should the class structure go away inside of the church? And my argument is he is saying here, when you're doing stuff in the church, when you pray or prophesy, you should not cover your head because demonstrating some sort of class distinction is wrong. And within the church, there is no class distinction based on wealthy and the poor, and we are all equal in Christ. Remember, We've gone through many different examples through 1 Corinthians of how that they were fighting and they were having divisions. This has been a problem throughout the whole entire thing. And it seems like this actually may have been one more place that they were fighting over. It seems like really the, the big thing they were fighting over were these class distinctions. We'll see it even more in, uh, as we continue on in chapter 11. And this was another way they were separating. They were saying, hey, I'm wealthy. I, I wear the head covering. You're poor. You don't. I... I'm feeling this is pretty easy so far. We go into verse 5. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the shame as if her head were shaven. So he's saying, men, you shouldn't have yours covered at all. You should all be equal. But then he says, women, you should all have your heads covered. So having your head uncovered back then, men of various different things, so when they would worship the women might have their head uncovered at home because there was no one, no one around, but it seemed like a modesty issue. And why it's a modesty issue, modesty issue is quite a story. I'm not sure I'm going to tell you this morning. It's uh, I've been debating whether I'm going to tell you about it or not. It's it's pretty it's pretty it's not rated G. Let me tell you, it's uh, it's quite a quite an explanation. Okay, so and then of course, definitely back then, if you wanted to be embarrassed, if you wanted to be shamed, they would shave your head. And so he says, you want all women to have their heads covered. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. So he's saying, well, if she's not going to cover her head anyway, she's not showing this sign of either submission to her husband or dishonor, she might as well cut her hair because it's dishonor for her to do it. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. So it's sort of ironic in the sense of the men, he's basically saying, I want you to go against convention I want everyone to not wear the head covering, which would be kind of, you know, not against the societal norm. Whereas with the women, he seems to be going with the societal norm. Hey, follow it. Verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. So he's saying here, so man needs to have his head uncovered. He's the glory of God. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but the woman is supposed to demonstrate she is being submissive to the man, and so therefore she wears a head covering. Once again, assuming a complementarian view here. For man was not made for woman, but woman was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. I think I just heard that. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head 
because of the angels. Oh, because of the angels. Let's just throw that on there to make the sermon 25 minutes longer. There's like five different main views on what because of the angels is, and let me give you the 10 cent version, okay? I would argue, having looked at this for like half an hour, which isn't very long in the world of nerdy theological scholarship, I would argue that in the same way when we looked at the passage about meat sacrificing to idols, it would say behind the idols were demons, remember? And so I think the way they viewed it, and correctly so, is that the angels were present when they worshipped, and so because of the angels present when they were worshipped, they should demonstrate proper conduct because the angels were there taking part in it in some way. That's what I'm rolling with. There's some other really interesting views. Some people actually think these aren't uh, angelic angels at all. Either it's just a messenger, you know, just a human messenger. So if a human messenger would come into your service and see what you were doing, they would think that the women weren't being submissive to men or they were being immodest or whatever. But I would say I think it's because they think that the angels are partaking in the service in some way. Angels are always difficult. There's just no, no letter was ever written that just gave us a really good uh, detailed theology of angels, so it can be difficult. But, uh, you know, that's what I would say it is. Nevertheless, the Lord, the, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of man, nor man the woman. For woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Now he goes into a different argument, okay? And when we go into this different argument, it gets hard because he starts talking about the hair. And he makes it sound like the hair is the covering, and it doesn't make any sense, okay? It just does, does not make any sense. I wrote a paper about this in college, and I wrote it. I'm sure I got an A, and I still had no idea what I was talking about. I mean, it's super difficult. And I read something this week, and I'm going to try really hard to say this in, a, in the most G way I possibly can, but it's really difficult. They viewed... Um, how to have children in a particular way and the fertility of women in a particular way. Having long hair helped fertility in women, in their view. But men needed to have short hair in order to help their fertility. Okay? I think I might just leave it right there, okay? So uh, if you really want all the details on how that works, I can tell you, but I don't think I'll tell you all right now. So long hair was good for women, for fertility. It, it contained the things that were needed, and it held them, and so therefore a woman should have long hair. Yep, I think that's, I'm hoping that's going to be enough here, okay? So we go on to verse 13. Judge for yourselves that it is proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered. So they thought that because long hair in women was so important, having your head uncovered would be sort of like, you know, like not wearing a shirt or something. Like it was, it was not, it was inappropriate. It was like showing something that was part of the child bearing process, and therefore was inappropriate to have your long hair uncovered. So when he says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, is a disgrace for him? 
But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. See, this is where it gets confusing. It's like, wait, wait, you just said she needed to cover herself, and now you're saying her hair is the covering, so is the hair the covering, or does she need to wear a veil or what? So what I'm arguing here is that the word covering is not talking about a head covering. It's actually not talking about a piece of cloth at all. So you know how words are tricky? Trunk, trunk, trunk. Is it the trunk of a tree? Is it the, you know, the tr trunk of your car? Is it the trunk of an elephant? Trunk, 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 like you don't know, okay? I would argue that the, the term that was used and translated covering is that way. It, covering's right. I mean, you can find other examples in Greek that, that, that it's translated covering and somehow, but I actually don't think that this is what is referring to. What I think it's referring to is some part of our body. And <laughs> so if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Um, her hair, it's not giving to her for a covering like I'm covering the head. It's giving to her to help her have children. I will say that. Okay? It, it is given to her to help her have children. So this argument from nature is this. They thought they understood medical science in a particular way. And so they had this view that connected between their hair and uh, going down to, you know, the, all the parts that help you have kids and whatnot. And they thought they knew how all that was connected. So they connected the hair on the head with it. And there was, you know, tubes that went from the top to the bottom to help, you know, help, you know, and this was like standard issue. I mean, you can read the medical people of that time period and that's how they thought it all worked. And that's what everyone believed, even even uh, Tertullian later on said this was how things worked. And so when I think, when they say, we're arguing from nature that women are supposed to have wrong hair, what he's saying is, you know from medical science that this is how it should be. And of course, we know that that was not right, <laughs> okay? The, the, that's not quite how it works. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So then he's saying here, also saying, so not only do we know it from nature, but we know that the church doesn't have this practice either. So if women, you should be covering your head. Men, you should not. So I think he is saying women should have it. He's saying that men shouldn't. And when he uses the argument from nature that women should have long hair and men shouldn't, he is referring to something that is a societal issue in which the way they viewed medical technology and how men and women had kids together. So, we get to the end and we say, what is the point of this? What is the point of this? And I'm going to give you two possible options. One is if you're a complementarian, you take that view. This, of course, would, would encourage you in that way. And the second one is this. What was the goal in Paul telling them, in one sense, follow the cultural norms in the sense of women, and in the other sense, buck the cultural norms in the sense of men? What was the goal? That they would have unity together, that they'd be one. The men were bucking the cultural norm in that they were, they were trying to bring each other apart. Right when, but when they followed the excuse me when they followed the cultural norm, they were creating division among the church. 
So he says, you want to buck that cultural norm to provide unity. With the women, it's more like this. You know why we, I think, you know why we don't wear hats, men can't wear hats indoors and women can? It's because of this passage. I'm pretty sure it became like a part of the culture and now it's a thing. Okay? So, you could say this. Well, it's ridiculous. We know the arguments from this. We don't think they're right. So I'm a guy. I'm going to wear my hat indoors. It's no big deal. You could, and I would say this. In this particular situation, even though women having long hair and connecting that to some kind of fertility was wrong, what did he still say? Cover your head. Because the message still the same. So you can come in, and if you're a guy and you say, I can wear this ball cap in a certain place, which is totally inappropriate for me to wear it, because apparently everyone around me thinks that I shouldn't, but I know it's okay, what is Paul going to say? It doesn't matter if you know it's okay. If the message you're sending is that it's bad, you shouldn't do it. As you travel around different parts of the country, you're going to find this, right? You're gonna, they're going to do crazy things, and you're going to know it's crazy, and you're going to do it anyway. And you're going to do it anyway because the message you would send if you didn't do it is not the message you would like to send. So what is the message that Paul is sent, telling them to send to society? Men, we're not going to divide. We're together. We're unified. And women, we're modest. We're modest. And if we have to cover our heads because of some cultural thing to demonstrate that to people, we will. We will. So there are people out there that still wear head coverings today. So we're in Kansas. There's a lot of Mennonite groups around here, so they wear head covering, whatnot. This is what I would say about that. I, I, I read part of a book that argued that whole line and, and said why we should wear head coverings and so on and so forth. I disagree, but I'd say this. I completely understand why they're wearing it, and I can see where they could get that, and maybe I'm wrong, so I'm totally fine with it. But I'd say another thing. If you're wearing a head covering and no one knows what it means, is that really matter? If you wear a head covering and no one knows why you're doing it, does it really matter? Isn't the point why Paul wants them to wear the head covering is the message he wants them to send to society. So when we get dressed, and we go out in the world, and we say, what message do I want to send society about me, about me being a Christian? That's what matters. That's what matters. And that'll change. That'll change. It'll change in what country you live in. It'll change what time period you live in. But we need to be sending the right message with our life. The hats we wear... The sunglasses we choose, it all matters. You know, I, you know, when I was young and in good shape, you know, if I go somewhere and I, and I wouldn't wear a shirt, maybe everyone else wasn't wear a shirt, but, you know, why weren't they? Why weren't they? Maybe the reason they weren't was for a reason that maybe I should. Is there anything in, in, inherently evil about not wearing your shirt at a certain time, but of course not. I'm inherently evil about it. But why? Why was I doing it? 
right? Why was I doing it? Why was I choosing that particular dress? Why was I choosing that particular hairstyle? Why was I choosing it? It's the message we want to send. And as we send messages, I'd like to make one final comment. This isn't probably a main purpose. You know, I, I don't think Paul necessarily had this in mind, but you know, as we worked and we do think we've done things in our church, we've painted and we've we've done some remodeling. I hope the goal of the council, when we sit together and we say, what do we want to do? How do what do we want to do with the building? What should we want to, the goal is what message are we sending? What message are we sending? Not the message that we write on the wall. We don't want a message that no one else can read but us. If we have a message like a head covering that we think is great, but no one else knows what it means, what good is it? We want to send a message that everyone else that would walk in our door could understand too. It's hard to do. It's difficult. I'm sure we don't do it perfectly, but that is our goal. We want to send a message with our building about what we're about what we want to do, and who we want to reach. It's the message you send. And sometimes these choices you make are very, very difficult. But we need to have the goals right. We're trying to reach people for Christ. Paul was like, what are the people around you going to see when they look at whether your men and women are going to have their head covered or not? And I would say, when people come and they see Sunnyside Baptist Church as individuals and what we do as a group, what are they going to see? What are they going to think about what we do in our life of serving Christ? Let's pray. Lord, just thank you so much for this wonderful morning. Lord, as we, we needed so much your Spirit to guide us as we went through this particular passage, Lord, we need your Spirit to guide us in so many decisions. Our daily walks in our lives, what Sunnyside should do as a church, ways we should use our resources, ways we should use our time. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be with us, that the Holy Spirit would be there every step of the way with, their, with us and guiding us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.